0: Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info@questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message.
1: We're going to jump into our Bible study this morning, and let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Somebody will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along and keep track with us. I know in uh, series past, we've also provided... Um, uh, Bible journals but with 1st and 2nd Peter being shorter epistles we opted not to go with um, the Bible journals this time around but we have which is new printed out the sermon notes we've always done them electronically you can look at them on your phone or follow along um, digitally but we've printed them out and we'll have them for the duration of our 1st and 2nd Peter series and uh, they're in a half sheet so you might need a magnifying glass no just kidding uh, just go like this if you've got the little transitions <laughs> or, or anything like that. But, um, but. The half sheet you can put in your Bible, uh, you can put in your notebook, and you can bring with you, and uh, there's blank spaces to fill in uh, certain key points as we go through. Some of it is going to be up on the screen as normal, but uh, a lot of it is not, and so those are great resources uh, to be able to really understand contextually what is happening um, in the scriptures as we study them together. So those are available on the tables or in the bookstore. You can pick those up. But we are uh, continuing our series that we started last week in First 1 Peter, First Second Peter, um, and uh, we didn't get through all of the uh, material last week, so we're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is in verse 22. So first. Peter chapter 1, verse 22 is where we're going to pick up uh, our study this morning, but let me just give you a little bit of context of where we've been so far and, and where we're heading. Uh, we are looking at this series focusing in on the firm foundation of God's Word. In fact, Peter is encouraging Christians who are going through persecution and encouraging them that they can stand firm on their salvation. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1 really dealt with um, this hopeful presentation of, of salvation and, and of the gospel. And, and how that encourages us. And what I love about Scripture as we go through it expositorily in the preaching and the teaching of God's Word is that we allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to present the themes and the topics as we, as we study through the Scriptures. And that's great because, for example, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, there, we were talking about theological points of salvation and redemption, but we are also talking about suffering and grief and pain. And what's so cool about that as a body of Christ comes together we know that in a, in a room this size with so many people here today, and those who may be even watching online, is that we're going through so many different issues and challenges, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, He knows. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we need. He knows the medication that our souls and our hearts need to be encouraged, um, maybe even to be challenged. And that's really the point of God's Word, is to um, open up our hearts to the conviction and the comfort of, of God's Word. And so we saw Peter do that for the Christians who are going through some persecution, and he talked about a living hope, how we can uh, have this hope uh, sometimes we think about hope in the future. Oh, well, hope is for, you know, in heaven. And yes, there is a hope reserved for us in heaven, but the living hope that we have in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ today is that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And, and uh, there's victory over many things that we experience in life. So this living hope is a, is a, a presentation of this salvation. And, and, and really, salvation is the greatest exhibition, if you will, of God's grace, as Peter described for us. Now, what we didn't talk about last week was uh, a couple of things that we're going to uh, deal with today uh, related to the church. And so, the title of the message today is God's Chosen People. And title or themes just really focus us in on uh, much of what is being presented by Peter in these verses. And we're really talking about the church, uh, we're talking about the identity of the church. Um, and so uh, God's chosen people is presented in these verses. And the point that we want to remember today as we read through is that the church gathers for worship and scatters for witness. You might have heard me say that before. Uh, it's not unique to me. I do not come up with that, but uh, uh, I, I just love the way it presents the corporate gathering of the church as we gather together. There's, there's something special that takes place in the koinonia and the fellowship of the body of Christ. A couple metaphors in the Bible that talk about the nature of the identity of the church is that we are um, the bride of Christ, so it speaks of the intimacy and a close relationship that we have with Jesus. We're the, uh, the body of Christ, it speaks of our unity, our diversity, and our interdependency upon one another. Uh, and then the uh, the building of God, which is presented uh, here in the verses that we're going to read today. And that speaks of how we're all fit together upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ to be a spiritual house and a royal priesthood, to be ministers for the Lord. And so we gather for, for worship. We're being encouraged. Um, we're celebrating. We're praising. We're thanking God. But we also scatter in the sense of going from this place into our lives, into our work, into our schools, uh, to be witnesses for the Lord. I love Acts eight, which is foundational to our vision here of reaching people who are far from God, teaching them to follow Jesus, and then launching them out to serve God in the world based on Acts eight that says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And so we see, uh, you know, this extending influence that... We as followers of Jesus have not only in our immediate circle, but also beyond in other areas. And so we're going to see this in three simple ways. First is we're going to see how the word of God is the source of spiritual maturity in our lives. Secondly, we're going to see that the church has a special identity which comes directly from God. And then thirdly, we're going to see how the world sees the witness and the activity of the church and how that activity and witness and conduct of the church can be attractive and appealing and persuasive, to bringing others to Christ. So, um, picking up our study in uh, verse one, excuse me, uh, verse twenty-two of chapter one, Paul says, "Since you have been, since you have, excuse me, purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit." So, obviously, we're kind of mid-sentence here. We're picking up from the things that we talked about last week. And in verse 19, we are told that our lives have been purified by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That we can't purify ourselves. In fact, the Bible says that even our best are like filthy rags. Our our sin is as red as scarlet, though it can be washed as white as snow. And our sin and our souls are purified, which is um, a reference to the Old Testament where the priest would sprinkle Uh, The Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifices. And that blood was uh, a picture of what Jesus would do for us on the cross, but it would bring forgiveness to people and uh, reconciliation for the people of God. And so we can't do anything in ourselves to purify our souls. It's only through the precious and sinless blood of Jesus Christ without blemish or spot, as as Peter said in verse 19. So he's saying that there's a, a cause and effect That because you have been purified, your souls have been washed and cleansed and sprinkled and made white as snow, sin being cast as far as the east is from the west. God no longer holding those things. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now we have the righteousness of Christ upon us. We're clothed with his righteousness. Since, because of this, in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. He's the one who um, gives us wisdom and guidance, and, and he's the counselor and the comforter and the helper. He reminds us of the words of Christ, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Everyone say Love. Love. This really sums up not only God, the book of First John tells that God is love, but Jesus before he ascended up into heaven and was betrayed by his disciples prayed for you and I even today that we would love one another, that other people will know that we are disciples or followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. And so Peter is linking the transformational work of Christ in our lives with the love that we demonstrate towards one another. And it is found and rooted in, as he goes on to talk about, the power of God's word. Having been born again. Now this is another reference. Peter talks about the nature of the Christian life. Is that we are born again. There's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, Peter's going to talk about how the power of God's word, how uh, it doesn't fall, it doesn't uh, fail, and it doesn't fade away. And we find the source of, of truth and of life in the power of God's word. Notice he says here, because and he quotes Scripture. I love this. As you read through First Peter, Second Peter, you see a lot of references to the Scriptures. And uh, for Peter, um, it was God's Word as, as a source of truth. In fact, you remember when the Holy Spirit fell in the beginning of the birth of the church in the book of Acts? He stood up and he proclaimed and preached Jesus, but he, he also... Reference the Old Testament Scriptures. His Scriptures at the time were the Torah, the Law and the Prophets and, and the Psalms. And so he's referencing these Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. You remember even Jesus when he was uh, uh, in the wilderness tempted by Satan. Forty days he was fasting and he was praying And when he was tempted, uh, he came back and repeated Scripture. It's filled with Scripture. Do not tempt the Lord your God, and worship him only. A man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he's fighting the spiritual battles with the source of, of God's word. And Peter here is rooting the truth of what he's explaining about the power of God's word with God's word himself. So in verse 24, it says, Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withers, and its flower uh, falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Everyone say forever. forever. Yes, it doesn't fade. It doesn't fall. God's promises are true. I don't know, maybe some people in your life have broken their promises. I know that's true in my life. But God's promise, he'll never break his promises. In fact, the Bible says that all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That Jesus fulfills all the promises that God has made to you and I. That the point of scripture is the person of Jesus Christ. And when you see that it endures forever, the Bible says not one cross of the T or dot of the I will by no means fade away. That God will fulfill his purpose and his plan and his promises to you and I. It's a firm foundation, I think, as we even sang this morning, that it's a rock upon which we can stand. Now, uh, continuing on verse 25, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. I just love that just as a preacher and as a pastor, is that the power of the gospel is not in the cleverness or the communication or the charisma of the speaker. The power of the gospel is in the word of God. And the gospel must be preached from the word of God because Paul the apostle says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so preaching the gospel as uh, Peter even preached um, before and to various churches, it was rooted in the word of God. Let me just make mention of a couple of things here uh, as he actually just read the, the verses here in verse um Verse 1 of chapter 2, excuse me. It, Peter goes on to say, therefore, again, these are clarifying words. He's saying, because of what I've just said, there is a, a, a result or an effect in our lives. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, or in other word, is gossiping. Now, I know none of you have any problems with any of those issues. So just speaking of myself... Here, I'm just going to bear my heart open before you. No, of course, we're all dealing with some of these things. In fact, it's really the lust of the flesh, as Paul the Apostle said. There's a war and a battle. In fact, we're going to talk about that later. This war and battle that our flesh is against the, the spirit is so that we don't satisfy the lust of the flesh. And There's a couple of things listed here that, um, that we're told about. But he says, therefore, lay these things aside. Now, Paul would say, put, put off and put on. Put off the old man and put on the new man or woman who's being renewed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as newborn babes, verse 2, desire, remember, it's, this is in continuation with the significance and the importance of God's word. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Everyone say Grow. This really is a picture of how we mature and grow in the Lord is because of the pure milk of the word. Now, when you talk about little babies, I mean, the, the milk that babies receive is just power packed with nutrients for sustaining life. And the same is true of the word of God. It has the nutrients that are needed to, to nourish and flourish um, our souls to, to, grow, uh, to grow by it. Now... Paul would say and encourage another church he 'd say well I know you've been you've been um, uh, drinking the milk of the word, but by now you should be devouring the meat of the word, and uh, that does not mean that we that we, as we mature and grow in Christ, that we throw out the milk just to chew on the meat. And basically the idea there is just an analogy of the foundations or the fundamentals of the gospel, of, 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 of the truth of God's word, with maybe more deep um, spiritual growth and maturity that takes place as we walk further along with the Lord. I think it's both and, not, a, not either or. We should always be connected to the milk of God's word, the nourishment uh, of God's word because it is power packed with those nutrients and uh, brings about the growth in our lives. If indeed, verse 3, you tasted that the Lord is gracious. I, just, I, I love um, focusing in on this theme because, as I mentioned in the beginning, God's word is this source of spiritual maturity. I see a couple of things here. One is flourishing in our relationships with one another. Peter says that if you want to grow in love, that you and I should be grounded in the word. Notice he connects the, uh, the power of God's word in our lives with the ability for us to grow in, in love. He says, with a fervent love for one another. And uh, really, when you boil it all down, Jesus was asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? By that point, the religious rulers made up over 700 different rules and regulations and laws based off the Ten Commandments that God said should govern our lives. And Jesus said, well, you just should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love. Love the Lord your God with all of your body, with all of your soul, with everything that you are. And then Jesus goes on to clarify something about not only our vertical relationship with God, but also our horizontal relationship with other people. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great commandment. So embodied in these two commandments, is great commandment, is love. And if you want to really grow in love for one another then we need to be grounded in the word of God because it's in the word of God that we mature and that we grow and that we understand God's heart for people. And, um, and we see that develop in, in our lives. But we also see this, this word desire. Notice there's a craving or a, or a desiring. And I would say just on the opposite side, you know, we talk a lot about how the word of God is nourishment and it helps us flourish and grow. But the opposite can be true. In fact, you know, we have our physical bodies and uh, we're thinking probably even right now about what we're going to eat before uh, prayer and fasting starts tonight. And we're thinking about our meal or, you know, I mean, we constantly are thinking about because there's a craving in our physical bodies. Our stomachs start to, you know, it's just the way that we were created. And that's why I love the verse that Jesus quotes about how man or woman does not live by bread alone, which means that there is a necessity for the physical nourishment of the body. And because of that, then it gives us health and strength and we grow. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, speaking of the spiritual a soul and the nourishment. And so uh, I think that sometimes we can be spiritually depleted, we can have a lack of nutrients. In fact, this past summer, we uh, planted some grass in our backyard, and uh, it was going good for the beginning. And then I started to notice that it was yellowing and it was kind of browning and it was wilting a bit. And so uh, I was fertilizing the lawn and I was giving it all of its nitrates and potash and all these other nutrients that you need for a really good garden. But I realized that maybe there was a biological thing happening that I wasn't aware of. And so I was encouraged to do a soil sample test. And that test could not be conducted on the surface, just take a blade of grass, but it had to be conducted about four to six inches below the surface because that's where the nutrients would be absorbed by the roots. And so I took this soil test sample and I sent it into a lab and then they sent me an email and they showed me on this graph all the different micro and macro nutrients that were deficient or spiking or good or bad in my soil. And spiritually speaking, I think that not only do we need a soil sample test, but maybe you need a soul sample test in your life. Because the best way to prevent spiritual depletion is through fervent scriptural consumption. And some of us, I I put myself in this, but... Maybe you need to consider yourself as well in the soil sample test that would go down deep into your heart, not on the surface, because sometimes on the surface, we can look like we got it all together. We look like it's all figured out and everything's going okay. But that's not where, uh, that's not where the test is done. The test is done down under the surface in the heart, because Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's an issue of the heart. And so when that sample is taken and brought to the Lord and laid bare before the, 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 uh, the, the, the spiritual tests of the Word of God, then we start to see, oh, yeah, I'm really low on love right now. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really low on patience right now. Or there's a spike or a depletion. And I think that, that sickly spiritual Christians need to be put on a strictly biblical diet. And that's, that goes not only when we're sick, but also when we're good. Because if you take a multivitamin, that's filling in some of the nutrients that you and I are missing uh, from the food that we're eating. And the same is true of the Word of God, that, that perhaps there is a spiritual depletion in your life. And you're wondering, why is, why is, um, uh, why is my attitude yellowing and browning? <laughs> Maybe so. Well, why why is my joy wilting? Why is my patience? I mean, I'm thinking of just some of those things, but maybe there's others. In fact, Paul, excuse me, Peter talks about some of the more drastic um, results of a spiritually depleted life. He says that it could be malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and gossip and evil speaking. These are some of those things. But then when you go before the Lord and you say, as David said, search my heart and know me, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, then you get a printout, so to speak, from the Lord and says, Well, yeah, this is this is a serious issue. We need we need to inject some vitamin B. I mean vitamin Bible with that, vitamin B. (laughs) We need to inject some vitamin B. You're you're deficient. Your soul is depleted. And this is a great opportunity at the beginning of a year, but not only a year, just right now. Where are you depleted in, the, in, in your soul with the Lord? And oftentimes I've, I've, been, I've, had, I've been fortunate enough to allow for the Lord to allow me to be in pastoral ministry for, for over 20 years. And I know personally in my own heart, but also with people that I counsel with and talk with and pray with throughout the years is that Every source of yellowing and browning and wilting in my life has come because of the deficiency of the consumption of God's word. And if you go back to the simplicities, you go back to the milk, you go back to the foundation, then it is a source of growing uh, and of health and of maturity. So that's the first point. Secondly, is that Peter begins to explain not only the importance of God's word, but now The identity of God's people. Look with me in verse 4. It says, coming to him as to a living stone. Now, this is in reference to Jesus, Jesus being the living stone. He's also referenced as the cornerstone. Jesus was indeed rejected by men, but Jesus was chosen as the Messiah, as the Christ, and precious to God. You also notice the transition. From Jesus to the church, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a great verse. Talks a couple of verses that talks about how when we come to Jesus, first uh, point of salvation is coming to God on His terms, coming through Jesus as. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." And so coming to Jesus, kind of like um, it's kind of like the appliances that you might have uh, in, your, in your home or on your kitchen counter, those appliances are completely useless and, and, until, and unless you plug them into the wall, unless you plug them into the source. When you plug them into the power outlet, then they come alive and the blender starts turning and the washing machine starts spinning and and, uh, the toaster starts toasting and all these things. The same is true for the Christian life that you and I cannot be alive unless we are first plugged in to Jesus. And Peter's saying, when you come to Jesus, He's the living stone, He's the source of power, He's the source of life, He's the source of strength. And I know that i lived many years of my life in my own strength and my own ability. And I ended up just being in a ditch and ruining my life. And there was no life. But uh, when I found the life of Jesus Christ, then I truly came to life. In fact, it's new life. So the encouragement is to come to Jesus, to be plugged in. And maybe sometimes we can look like a really expensive appliance but can be spiritually completely useless for the Lord because we're not plugged into Him. And when you plug yourself into the Lord Jesus Christ, then we become living stones. I think that's an interesting because I'm kind of like a dead rock. If you talk to me other times, or my kids, or my you know, they might say, "Oh, I'm not I'm not sure about Dad right now." But um, you know, I'm a dead rock apart from Christ. We all are. Excuse me, is that me? Am I the one buzzing? We have the sound tech guy working on that, I'm sure. Sorry about that. There you go. Thank you. Um, but when, when Jesus comes into your life, you're a living stone. You, become, you, you, you are being fit into a spiritual house. And as I mentioned earlier, these are metaphors for the church. And it's really a reference to the Old Testament because the, the temple or the house of the Lord was the place where God's presence dwelt, it was a place where God went to meet, excuse me, people went to meet with God. And now we're told that through the new covenant and the giving of the Holy Spirit, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let's just get something really clear up front, is that the church is not the steeple, it's the people. I just like to rhyme. A little rapper, so to speak, kind of gospel rapping in the church. The church is not the steeple, meaning it's not the building, it's not the location, it's not the address, the church is the people of God. And the people of God are living, being fit together as a spiritual house to be the place where God's presence dwells. But not only a spiritual house, what does he say? A holy priesthood? Ooh, that's interesting. Because the priests were the only ones who had access to God. And they were the ones who were appointed and called and selected to do a very specific ministry for the Lord on behalf of the people. And now we're told that that ministry is extended, listen, this is important, to every member of the body of Christ. Every single one of us are priests. You probably didn't know that coming in today. But a priest is somebody who ministers to the Lord and ministers to other people, is a servant of God. And notice he quotes another scripture here in verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Here's a reference to Jesus um, as the cornerstone elect and precious. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Notice all the scripture references being, being mentioned here. But as a cornerstone... If you're in construction, building a wall, I've built a couple of walls, and thankfully they're still standing today. Don't know about a couple years from now, but you know that that first course or that first foundation is so very important to get straight, to get level, in order for that wall as you build up in order to stand firm. And Jesus as the cornerstone means that Jesus stands as the source of stability, as a source of alignment in two different directions. I wonder if that could be in reference to the Jews as also to the Gentiles. Maybe you could make a a suggestion or an argument there. But in no matter what direction you go in life, by making Jesus the cornerstone and the foundation of your life, then your life will be in line with him. It'll be straight, building upon that foundation. He says and goes on to continue here, just wrapping up this thought. They stumble... Verse 8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are here's a summary of what here's a summary of what Peter has said so far. This is who you and I are in Christ as the church, as the building of God. But you are a chosen generation. Now that's interesting because from generation to generation, God is always doing something fresh and something new. And for us in our generation, no matter where we find ourselves in whatever decade whether we're the greatest generation, whether we're the boomers, whether we're the Gen Xers, whether we're the millennials, whether we're the down and outers, whether we're the lost and confused, however you want to classify different generations, God is the God of generations. He's the God of Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Moses. You're a chosen generation, meaning precious to him, a royal priesthood, a holy Nation. So we have our existence and life in Jesus. We have a purpose and a calling in life. And as a holy nation, we are under a new leadership and governance with our citizenship being in heaven, a holy nation. His own special people, that you may, what's all this about? Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that we are a people to obtain his mercy. Man, this is just foundational for understanding who we are in Christ personally, but also the church generally. We have this identity, we're precious, that uh, we talked about being plugged into the source of Christ and coming to life. But also, uh, Peter says that we are holy priesthood, that every single uh, every single member. Of the body of Christ, of the church, is an individual minister for the Lord. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's pretty radical. No, the minister is the person up on stage preaching. He's the pastor. He's the minister. No, the person is the one who works on staff at the church and is up on stage doing the worship. Well, you can be a minister and do those things. But you can also be a minister no matter where the Lord Jesus Christ has you. Whether it's your career, you also have a calling and that calling is to be a royal priesthood for the Lord, to be a, min- a minister for God, to represent him in and through your life. In fact, P- Peter's going to finish this thought by saying that our conduct, when we're living our conduct before the Lord and before the, uh, before the world, when our conduct is in line with the word of God, then it becomes attractive to other people as a witness for him. And so he says every single member. Now, I know that there's some denominations and other organizations and churches that have a membership. That's okay, and that's just a part of being connected to a local body. But the Bible speaks of the church in a universal fashion, that every single person who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, been born again by the work of Christ on Calvary, has been adopted into the family of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a member of the body of Christ And as a member of the body of Christ, you are chosen in your generation to represent Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, to be a priest or a priestess, to be somebody who ministers for the Lord in your work, in your relationships, in your school, in your job, in your career. We might all have some of those things in our lives, but it speaks of the significance, the spiritual significance and the calling and the purpose in our lives that goes beyond the mundane. It goes beyond the routine. It goes beyond the Monday through Friday grind, working for the weekend, or however you want to uh, categorize hump day and getting through Wednesday and then looking TGIF Friday. No, it makes every single day TGIF Friday. Thank goodness it's whoever, I don't know, I want to come up with an, uh, an acronym for that. Uh, but thank goodness I get to breathe and represent Jesus every single day of the week, right? And so every member, every single person. So all of you, when we go from this place, you are representing Jesus, being plugged into him. A special people. Notice he says, a special uh, people to the Lord, And really, what's fascinating to me is that God takes ordinary people and makes them extraordinarily precious. So turn to the person sitting next to you and say, you are extraordinary. Go ahead, just do that right now. Oh, boy, you are extraordinary. Well, that might have been your wife or your spouse or your husband. And you're thinking that person is not extraordinary right now. Let me just turn around and say to somebody behind me, I don't know. You're extraordinary, and maybe that's an encouragement because someone said, hasn't said that to you in a while, but you're precious, and when you're precious and extraordinary, you are unique. God has fashioned you in a way to fit as a very specific stone that comes together in the body of Christ that builds up his purpose, his mission, and uh, you are precious to him. And uh, you might not have felt precious, or you might not feel precious right now, But God says you're precious to Him, and He loves you, and He loves you so much that He does something radical. He takes a bunch of ordinary people like us in this room. We're just there's no one special, there's no one mighty, there's no one you know. There's no power in and of ourselves. But then He fills us as clay and earthen vessels with His glory so that other people can see the beauty and the majesty and the awesomeness and the greatness of God in and through our weaknesses, in and through our vulnerabilities, in and through um, our failures. We are extraordinary, and God looks upon us in that same way. And what's all this for? So that we can proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. Now, just remember the life that you had before Christ. I was in a living hell before I came to Christ. You remember that hell you lived in before Jesus picked you up out of the pit and set you upon the rock and the foundation of Jesus Christ? He turned you around and he filled you with his Holy Spirit. I was in a living hell. I was addicted to drugs and to alcohol. And it didn't start that way. It actually started just by dabbling a little bit in, in drinking, a little bit in smoking. But it ended up just corrupting and corroding my life and destroying me so that I had chains wrapped around my heart and my soul that I could not break myself. But this is where the radical transformation of Jesus Christ takes place. That praising and witnessing for Jesus in our testimony is a marvelous proclamation of God's tremendous transformation in our lives. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for his transformation. And your testimony and your story of how God took you from darkness and brought you into light is the most powerful thing that you have. You know that the book of Revelation says that we overcame. Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives even unto death. That you can overcome all the armies of of hell that are coming against you and I because of the blood of Jesus Christ that purifies our souls. And then testifying to that transformational work we can share about how God has taken us from the darkness and from the pit. Man, that's a powerful story. That's a powerful God. That's a marvelous transformation and change. And if he can do that in my life, and I never, ever, ever, ever imagined, thought about, or even wanted to be a pastor. It was never even in my thought. And yet God, in his mercy, in his grace, in his purpose, and in his plan, he took somebody who was just lost and he he used them. And God can do the same thing in your life. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a pastor or anything like that. But uh, you can be a useful witness and example to draw other people to the Lord. And that's really what, what we end here with. Because Peter says in just these last two verses, We have obtained mercy. We're proclaiming the praises, so when we gather together, we're gathering around God's word, but we're also worshiping the Lord. And that really just brings, that really does, listen, this is important, that really brings a lot of significance to our worship. I know that we say worship is not just singing, but it is singing. Uh, Worship is an expression of our lives. The Bible says that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable worship as well as service but it, it brings such a great significance of, of worshiping and of proclaiming because in the songs that we sing together corporately as the body of Christ, we are talking about what God has done in our lives. We are proclaiming. And sometimes our... Our our words are just completely discon. Our mouths are disconnected with our hearts because we're thinking about so many other things. We've heard the song before, or we don't like the tempo, or uh, we can't reach that tone or that pitch, or the person behind us is distracting us, or the phone goes off. Whatever it is, you know, we're just so distracted. But man, wow! Could it be that when we come together and worship? That we're not focused on any of those things. We're focused in on proclaiming the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's filled us with hope. He's filled us with truth. He's filled us with grace. And we don't hold on to this for ourselves, but we take it out. Look at Peter says in verse 11, beloved, notice his care, his compassion, his concern. I beg you, his urgency as sojourners and pilgrims, citizens in heaven, but living on earth, abstain from fleshly lust with war against your soul. This is the second time he references the, uh, the lust, the flesh, and, and the war. Everyone say war. war. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a war, a spiritual war. Constantly, when you get up, once you put your feet on the ground, and you get out, and you start walking, and you start going, you and I are at war. There is no rest in Satan and all of his evil henchmen who are just constantly looking to attack you and I. And that attack is trying to destroy two things. One is your witness, and the second is your usefulness. We are at war right now. And for us to be people of the book rooted in the word of God, it's going to be very difficult for you and I to fight the spiritual warfare that is constantly coming against our soul. Look at, he says, which war against your soul. The word war is, um, it's a military term that any general who is going to go against a certain nation or country, they first understand their weaknesses. They isolate their resources. They cut off their supplies They bombard the soft targets and then they go in and infiltrate with an army that can decapitate, so to speak, their armies. And that is the tactic and the strategy of Satan for you and I. Coming against us. To isolate us. To understand our weaknesses. To expose them so that our witness and our usefulness to the Lord. He says, I beg you Uh, to abstain from these things that that war against your soul. Having, notice verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That's really a contrast. There's a change, right? From lusts of the flesh to honorable. This word honorable means lovely, gracious, noble, and excellent. And it speaks of a a person's, uh, a, a Christian's life and character that is consistent with the word of God and he says here having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak evil against you as evildoers that was happening for this church remember we talked a little bit about how Nero during this time was blaming a lot of the problems in Rome on the Christians and we're told here that when you stand up and follow Jesus you're going to be talked about you're going to be gossiped, you're going to be torn down and you're going to be accused and you're going to be lied against. But our response is not to defend in court, but to stand firm in conduct. He says here that they, when they speak evil against you, that they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the world is watching. That's what Peter tells us. The world is watching to see if you are really who you say you are. The world is watching to see if, our, um, if, if the things that we profess to believe are in fact changing the way that we live. A couple of things. First is to understand the war and to conquer those things. Because sin is an enemy, as I mentioned, seeking to destroy our witness and our usefulness. And then secondly is this idea of having an honorable Uh, Character and it it really is a consistency, not a hypocrisy, if you will. I think there's many people who would say uh, and stay away from God or stay away from the church or stay away from Christianity because they look at a Christian and say, "How can you live like that?" I don't want. I mean, I can I can live the same way and not claim to be a Christian. Um, And so uh, there's there's a consistency. And Peter is saying here, just in closing. Peter is saying that an outwardly attractive Christian, someone who is appealing and attractive and persuasive outwardly to other people, to the world, to those who uh, don't know Jesus, has an inwardly aligned character with the Lord. Peter is encouraging us to align our hearts with the Word of God, to align our hearts and our lives with our true identity and nature as the church before the Lord because lives are at stake. And as we live our lives, then there's an influence and an effect that we have on other people, drawing them to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, we are going to have our worship team come up and, and close us in... Um, In a song, but uh, just stay with me here as we talk a little bit about some next steps for us. I, I know that we covered a lot of territory and ground, some challenging and convicting, and so maybe those are some next steps for you. The first is let's make a commitment individually, but also as a church. Let's make a commitment to feed and nourish our souls daily upon the Word of God. There could be some wilting and some fading and some deficiencies and some depletion in your soul and in your heart and in your spirit because you don't have the infusion of the word of God in your life. Let me encourage you this week. Jump in daily. Infuse your heart with the nourishment of God's word. Secondly, is that you might be surprised to hear, but you are a minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a minister. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a royal priesthood. And that brings such great significance to the things that you are doing, to the people that you come in contact with so that you can be a witness and an example of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, this is a little bit more uh, personal and and it hits us a little harder, is to, maybe even while we sing this closing song, to let the Lord search our hearts and see if there is anything that might be eliminating uh, or preventing us from being an effective witness and being useful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says to abstain, to fight the battle, to cut out, and to align our heart, our character, and our lives with the Lord. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray, God, uh, as we read these verses, and they really hit home, I thank you for this church, this local congregation, this local body of Christ that we belong to as living stones, as this spiritual house. We want to proclaim those praises as you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for this transformation power. I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that you'd help us. And that the more that we devour your word, the more that we savor your goodness and your grace, strengthen encourage, support and defend your precious, special people.
0: We love you and it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.